0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Oblivion, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. The quarters that had been assigned to each of the delegates to meet us reminded Bella of the white rooms at the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Everything was white. Furniture, walls, floors and ceiling, with completely non-directional soft light flooding everything. The only color was provided by the things they had brought with them. Except that, unlike the rooms in the movie, when you happened to lie down, or said, Lights out. The rooms went to black, with a little lighted path that guided you to the bathroom. Bella was still trying to process actually being here. Vicky's call was not helping that. Wait, what? Bella said, clutching her hair with one hand. It's. It's scope, Vicky replied in her ear. It's definitely scope. They're air-evacking her right back to Atlanta. The question is, what do you, Bull and Yank, want to do with her when she gets there? Thank God for overwatch conference calls. Guys, Bella said, staring at the plain white wall of the guest quarters she shared with Bulwark who was getting yet another of the Meta-style medical treatment sessions that were working along with her own healing powers to accelerate his recovery past everyone's expectations. I... I'm still kind of in shock here, but... How in the hell did she survive getting a tower dropped on her if... Well, forget the tower, Pride said. You saw the specks on that modular bomb. She should have been vaporized the moment it
1: hit, her and everything in a 50-odd radius. I don't think we're going to get any answers here, not until we examine her.
0: Is she even injured? Nothing too bad, Vicky said. It all seems to be superficial cuts and bruises. She's weak, though, dazed and dehydrated. Doesn't seem to remember anything. Bella glanced at Bull, who was flat on his back, shirtless on a special treatment bed that had been brought in for him, replacing one of the two couches. Whatever it did, it seemed to replicate some of her own abilities and add others. The medicine physicians had explained it supplied additional nutrients directly through skin contact, rather than IV. How the hell it managed that, she had no idea. But it definitely was working as advertised. He certainly looked better, stronger, and he was back to his old stalwart poker face. The novelty of having a lover she couldn't read had worn off a bit. Sometimes, like right now, it was downright irritating. She wasn't picking up anything from him. There was nothing to suggest he was elated or suspicious or even surprised about Scope's return. He simply lay there, listening. She felt an irrational urge to bop him on the head, perhaps jar something resembling an emotion out of him. "'I don't like it,' she said flatly. "'Unless she somehow manifested a whole new power "'and teleported herself out in the nick of time.' "'Or someone else got her out,' Pride said. "'Or she knew the layout of that tower beforehand
1: "'and managed to put some distance between herself and Ground Zero before it blew.' Of course, for that to have happened, she's had to keep some naughty secrets from us. I'm not sure I like where this line of thought is going,
0: Bull interrupted.
1: I get it. Her appearance is highly suspicious. But before we get to the wild accusations, we'll need to talk to her.
0: Bull, this is all about deciding what the hell we do with her when she gets here, replied Vicky. What if harm wasn't the only mole we had in the works? You want that walking around on the campus without a minder with all of you gone?
1: I'm not suggesting any such thing, Bull said. I agree she should be detained, but I want it made clear to her she is not, strictly speaking, a prisoner. We're just not in a position to take any chances. Trust me, she'll understand that. If it is, in fact, her, he added as an afterthought. I think it best to run all the physical tests you can on her before we get back. Play it up as your standard suite of physicals.
0: Okay, then, what do we do with her? Slap one of those wristbands you put on red on her? Want me to come up with something? Even over the calm, they could all hear Vicky's voice hardening. I've got some pretty interesting coercion spells in my arsenal. That's not going to cut it, Bella said. She may not be a prisoner, but I want to be sure she's secure. Like Bull said, we're not taking any chances. Put her in top hold. Okay, relaying that to the welcoming committee. Also, I don't have full overwatch sets, but I can jury-rig a tag that I can slap on her that will track her every move— in case she manages to make a break for it. It will do, Bull said. He adjusted himself on his bed.
1: How is she, Victrix?
0: I told you she's dazed with minor injuries and...
1: I mean, how is she?
0: Oh, Vicky said. Couldn't tell you, seeing as I haven't spoken to her yet. Remember, she's not wired up with O2, and she lost or threw away her O1 mic and headset. From the reports, she's not speaking much. She stares off in space a lot, but she seems agitated. She trembles a lot. Not surprising, Pride said. She's been through a lot. There's another explanation, Bella said, and shared a sad look with Bulwark. Scope would probably be jonesing about now. Bull nodded.
1: Please keep her under observation, Victrix. I'll need to have a long talk with her when we get back, after we look over her test results.
0: I'll see what I can jerry rig I might be able to add a direct observational component to that tag. If I can, and I can feed it to tech rather than magic. You want me to add it to your Overwatch suite? Just the four of us. No, Bella said firmly. Unless something goes kablooey, just keep an eye on her. I have a feeling we're going to have our hands full here. A soft, non-directional chime interrupted her. It is time for the council meeting with the delegates, said a pleasant, a little too pleasant, female voice with no discernible accent. All delegates and guests should make their way to the Marconi Grand Foyer. Roger that. We'll be monitoring and recording the discussion with the medicines per orders. Victrix out.
1: And on that note...
0: Bull sat up and swung his legs over the side of his bed, reaching for his uniform tunic, which was draped on the platform next to him. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa there, Mr. Stubborn Mule! Bella said, trying to press him back down. Did I say you were fit to get out of that thing? Bella, Bulwark said, resting his hand gently on hers.
1: I'm fine. I should be there. And are you really going to wheel me around in this contraption?
0: If that is what it will take to keep you from undoing everything Midas and I have done to you so far, she snapped. Fortunately, our hosts have provided us with something better. She whistled, and what looked like a very comfortable, if somewhat skeletal, recliner on wheels obediently glided over to the side of the treatment bed.
1: Please, I'm hardly an invalid.
0: About a week ago, you were hardly alive, she reminded him. Bulwark glared at the wheelchair, then back to Bella.
1: I know better than to get in that thing, he rumbled. But then I also know even better than to argue with you when your eyes start to flash like that. Wise man,
0: Pride chuckled. Bull sat up again, pulled on his nano-weave uniform tunic, waved off Bella's attempts to assist him, and eased himself into the wheelchair. Shall we? he asked, motioning to the door. Bella led the way, the wheelchair following her like an eager puppy. All delegates and guests should make their way to the Marconi Grand Foyer. Ramona recognized Mabel's saccharine politeness and made a face. She picked at a flake of metal on one knuckle while Pride finished his conversation with the voices between his ears. Tweaking her appearance took a bit of concentration and creativity but Ramona enjoyed the effect it had on the medicines as well as the newly arrived echo leadership. Mercury waited at the door for them expectantly, as if showing up late for the meeting was one of the last things he wanted to do. Well, looks like there's one less empty cell waiting when we get back. Pride leaned forward and let out a long breath. He did not have the appearance of a man willing to jump when Mabel beckoned.
1: Victrix said that Scopes turned up in spite of the
0: disaster at Ultima Thule. They're going to keep an eye on her, but... But you think it's suspicious, Ramona finished. Not finding a body would have made more sense. Pride hesitated.
1: I'm not saying that she should have died,
0: or that I'm not happy to see a hole. "'Losing anyone within the organization is never easy, "'and we've lost a lot of folks in the last few years.
1: "'At
0: the same time, "'the circumstances and the results just don't add up.' "'He sighed heavily and pushed himself up from the pristine white couch. "'And, at this point, we can't afford blind optimism. "'Not arguing with you, boss.' Ramona stretched and followed suit, her joints making metallic popping noises with the effort. Pride frowned, but she waved off his concern. "'I'd like to believe that we can celebrate the little victories, but that's just too convenient.'" Mercury stepped aside to let them pass before falling in beside Ramona. The wide passageway would have allowed another to join them with plenty of shoulder space to spare. That battle can't really fit the description of a little victory, can it? You had Chang there for the offensive, not to mention support from other affiliate organizations. The entire Thulian city crumbled, according to the reports that I got to see. That looks like a win for the good guys. Ramona held back a smile, years of experience giving her the skills to temper her immediate emotions. Pride didn't show any amusement at Merck's words. On the contrary, they seemed to bother the usually easygoing metahuman. He narrowed his eyes and spoke tersely. It was an enormous battle, and
1: there were enormous casualties on both sides. It's a little too recent for
0: me to consider it a victory when we're still contacting next of kin for the fallen. He clasped his hands behind his back, and took a few steps ahead of the other two, apparently ready to end the conversation there. Mercury tried to catch up, but Ramona put a hand on his elbow. She held the speedster back a few paces to give Yankee Pride room for thought before they had to face the medicines. Merc let out a long breath, the gesture deflating the poor guy like a kid's punching doll. Sorry, he mumbled to the space between them. I thought I was being helpful. I know. You've just been removed from a lot of it, and he's been thrown in the thick of it. Ramona slid her hand from his elbow to his palm and interlaced their fingers. You're probably the only person in Echo who isn't creeped out by the whitewash around here. That made Murk snort. I'm used to it. That doesn't mean I'm not creeped out. I do like the clothes, though. Might be hard to give these up for nano-weave when they let us leave. If, not when. Ramona had discussed her concerns about the medicine's detainment of Mercury with Bella, Bull, and Pride, as Vicky weighed in via Overwatch. Keeping someone in Medus afforded them a direct link to Tesla and Marconi that was not limited by the quantator, and the nature of war meant that they would need to rely more and more upon the collective experience and expertise of the two elder statesmen of the Science City. If that meant that she would have to stay in Midas, she wanted to be ready to break that news to Murk. In spite of the thought-speed message relay of Overwatch, Ramona figured that Arthur Chang would want the speedster closer to the battle than here. Then again, that wasn't Chang's call. Disposition of Echo personnel was strictly up to Bella and Pride. So maybe they could both stay. Your seats are waiting. Mabel's false cheer resonated just around the corner. Ramona ground her teeth together as they caught up to Pride. On the other hand, if I never saw Mabel again, I would consider myself lucky. Mabel eyed Mercury with a hungry smile and gestured to the doors. Yankee Pride and, uh, Steel Maiden are expected with the Echo Delegation. Rick, if you would be a dear and escort me. Both Pride and Ramona tensed, but it was Mercury who interrupted Mabel with a charm so magnetic it would have put Spin Doctor to shame. He held up the hand clasped with Ramona. I would, but it seems I'm already tagged for escort duty. Maybe next summit? Mercury breezed past Mabel, tucking Ramona's hand into the crook of his elbow. Behind them, Ramona heard Pride rumble a genteel offer as replacement. She choked back a laugh at Mabel's offended refusal and waited for him to catch up to them. For his part, Yankee Pride didn't appear the least bit bothered by the medicine representative's behavior. Must be a societal quirk. Bless her heart, he drawled loud enough for her to hear. I guess we'll find our seats on our own. Red Savior was unsettled. On the one hand, she was actually ahead in the little game of points she was playing in her mind with Worker's Champion. And that was thanks to Bella, who had surreptitiously given her hints of how to handle the old man. From being contemptuous of the echo leader, Natalia was finding herself in the slightly uncomfortable position of feeling grateful to her, even of wanting to follow her advice once in a while. On the other hand, she was where she had wanted to be for months now, about to confront the medicines, only to discover that she really didn't want to be here after all. Their hosts had given them all materials to peruse about the medicine society, and it was Marxian communism at its heart. Everything devoted to the good of the whole. Equal distribution of material goods. No one confined to a single role, unless that was something he preferred. All decisions requiring the consensus of all. Which should have made her elated." But this Marxian communism had resulted in an insular, arrogant society, sure of its superiority, cut off from the plight of the workers outside of Metis, and sure that it, and it alone, was wise enough to decide what might be dribbled down to the lesser masses. This room should have pleased her. This society was oddly Spartan, at least when it came to obvious things that could be considered luxuries. Nothing excessive at least on the surface. No wasted energy. Everything efficient and practical for use. But Metis didn't please her because of all of the hidden technology, so hidden as to seem magical. These wonders, the things like the miraculous healing bed that were so commonplace they could be wheeled into a bedroom, could have truly led to freedom from capitalist oppression for the workers of the world but the medicines were hoarding them. It disgusted her, especially when she thought about the comrades that had been lost. Those who have the ability to act should. Those who do not only support the actions of those who are evil. These ivory tower intellectuals are almost as culpable as the fascists themselves. Decision by consensus had also lost its attraction for her. Decision by consensus was what had enabled the medicines to hide behind the white walls of their city, when they could have ended the conflict at the point of the first invasion, or shortly thereafter. So many dead. So much loss. And every bit of it preventable. She wanted this farce to be over as quickly as possible, so that she could return to her people in Atlanta and get back to doing something that actually mattered. She wished Boryetz had not been invited. She should have been sufficient to represent Russia's interests. After all, was that not the supposed overt reason she had been sent to Atlanta in the first place? But it seemed that the medicines were aware that in reality she had been disgraced and in exile. The only reason she was here in the first place was because Belladonna had not only strongly argued for her attendance, but had hinted that she and Bulwark would rethink their own attendance if the medicines did not include CCCP. Strangely, Borietz had not objected. For some reason that vexed her all the more. Intrigue and games. The sheen on the memories she held of him from her youth had tarnished considerably and she saw him more and more for the politician he had become. More like the medicines than he probably knew. He was a manipulator, not a creature of action anymore. Well, just look at the way he had manipulated the medicines themselves into allowing a coterie of his precious supernauts to be included as special security. She wondered very strongly how he had managed that. "'None of the other delegates had been allowed such a large group of attendants. "'The one concession that Bordiet seemed to have made "'was to leave the majority of the supernauts outside of the proceedings. "'Bluster and show. "'I have more in common with my blue capitalist sestra "'than I do with the man who was my mentor.' "'Well, at least she had her Bolshoi brat at her side. "'Molotok.' She could count on Moji and he could count on her. And he was more comfortable with people like the medicines than she was. Honestly, he was comfortable with everyone he met. Good looks to match any Hollywood-leading man, but with a decidedly rushing cast to his jaw and eyes, he was always quick to smile and offer a laconic joke. Moji had always been the more public-friendly of the two of them, which certainly didn't hurt him where the fairer sex was concerned. This held true even in Metis, where Natalia had spied more than a few medicine women eyeing her comrade appraisingly. The other three of her contingent she was not as certain of. Rasalka had proven to be a sturdy enough comrade, but she was of the same generation as Boryets, both of them fighting together in the Great Patriotic War. Ties like that didn't wither so easily, and Natalia kept the elementalist at arm's length. Flyn's and Marowit, the last two of their contingent, made her uneasy. For that matter, they seemed to make everyone uneasy, especially Chug. Their performance during the battle for Ultima Thule had been satisfactory, if disturbing, but in the wake of the fight, it was her unease that persisted. This didn't seem to bother the pair a whit. They largely stayed at the back of the group, Marrowit occasionally whispering something to Flints, who would only nod in response, his face utterly blank. Perhaps I should have asked for Murdoch and his woman. But not possible. There had been whispers and less than diplomatic statements uttered about those two by many in the leadership council. Objectively, she understood. It wasn't every day that metahumans manifested that level of power, with little to no warning. There had been calls to take them into custody immediately after the fighting, to at least interrogate them, even to turn them over to the U.S. military. The memory of what had happened with the mountain was still very clear in all of their minds. Natalia had immediately shut down all such talk, at least out in the open by stating that it was a C.C.C.P. matter and would be resolved by her and no one else. Again, there had been no objection from Boryetz, and Bella had thrown in her, and consequently Echo's, support for Natalia. That had relieved some fears held by the generals. Perhaps they were just glad that the responsibility would fall on someone else's shoulders if the pair turned malicious. But Bella's support did little to quiet her own doubts. Murdoch had been a sturdy comrade in the past a reliable operator but with all of the drastic changes he and his red woman had undergone the couple were an unknown quantity now were they going to be tools weapons that she could wield or time bombs waiting to destroy her and those nearby dictrix to savior the witch girl I am listening. Got the results of the Murdoch exam. Clean bill of health. He's not crazy. He's pretty much the same guy you recruited, but more... stable, actually, if that's even possible. He's not going to crack, no matter what. He might be the first completely sane Op 4 ever. And the woman. There was an odd chuckle has a personal message for you. I am what I am, Natalia Shustakovaya. Remember workers' paradise and believe. That caused her breath to catch for a moment. She did her best to hide it, though. Da, fine. We'll talk more of them later. Must be going through tedious meetings so egg-shaped heads are having time to make long speeches. As if to underscore that, a soft chime punctuated the end of her sentence. "'It is time for the council meeting with the delegates. All delegates and guests should make their way to the Marconi Grand Foyer.' The door to her room slid open, and Molotov gestured to her from the hallway. "'Come, Sestra, I think smoking section is this way.' Natalia elbowed Moji in the ribs as she walked past him, eliciting an amused chuckle and mock pain as he rubbed the spot. The medicines had absolutely forbidden her from lighting up, but had provided her with a cigarette-shaped device they said would satisfy her cravings without endangering those around her. She had turned her nose up at it, muttering that she would rather wait than pretend to smoke. By now, however, her cravings were in such force she was starting to consider using it, and actually had it in the breast pocket of her uniform. Natalia marched at the front, following a lightly scintillating pattern of lights that marked their path. Molotov, Rasalka, Flins and Marowit all fell in behind her. Here and there along their path they would see medicines going about their lives, all wearing the same white outfits and talking quietly. At some point they were joined by worker's champion, and a quartet of supernaut soldiers, all utterly silent as they followed. She wanted to turn and confront Borietz, to scream and shout and curse at him and all of the other old fools who had helped plunge the world into ruin, but she kept herself in check. Barely. Now was the time to maintain composure, to show that he and the rest of the dinosaurs in Moscow were wrong about her. The door opened before they reached it, to reveal a—what else?—rectangle of white light. It seemed that the medicines thought that the future had to be white, even though the inhabitants of Metis itself were a mix of every possible race she had been able to identify. They entered the assembly chamber, as it was called, and once past the door, the light dimmed to a pleasant overall glow— as if anything here in the city was ever anything but bathed in a pleasant overall glow. Natalia felt herself craving the harsh sodium streetlights and dirty streets of Moscow more than ever, for the first time in what seemed years. Even Atlanta was preferable to this. At least Atlanta was real. It was a predictably circular chamber, with a dais in the middle, and successively higher levels of white tables with comfortable white chairs behind them. Each of those tables sported both a blue light and a white sign with blue lettering, identifying at least the nationality of those who were sitting at the table. Her eyes went to the tiers above and spotted Russia, Supernauts, on the third tier. So where was CCCP? She felt increasingly uneasy as she scanned tier after tier... "'and saw nothing. "'Earth to Nat, you're down here. "'Ground floor, table next to Echo.' "'Startled by Ramona Ferrari's voice in her ear, "'her gaze snapped down to the tables in front of the dais "'and the one occupied by Belladonna, Bulwark, Yankee Pride, Mercury, "'with Ramona on the end. "'Catching her eye, Ramona nodded to the empty table immediately next to her. She stalked over there, her mind and body screaming for nicotine as she plopped down in the centermost chair, a chair which disconcertingly molded itself to her, cradling her rather than allowing her to sit. Molotov took the seat to her right, with Rysalka on her left. and Marowit chose to stand in the back. Natalia was conscious that she didn't enjoy the feeling of having the pair behind her. Marconi and Tesla insisted on having you up front. That was Belladonna. Mind you, I was going to have you share our table if they hadn't. Natalia started to speak, then clamped her jaw shut. She looked over to where Belladonna sat, muttered to herself, and then stood up abruptly. She stomped over to the echo table, stopping in front of Bella's position at it. Blue girl. Sestra, thank you. I am still thinking this is unnecessary farce and cannot be out of this bright children's model soon enough, but thank you for believing and standing by. You are truly a sturdy comrade and will always be counted as such. Bella blinked but recovered quickly. "'We don't always see eye-to-eye, Commissar, "'but at least we never try to deliberately sabotage each other. "'Or punch each other. "'I was mad as hops when you sent your people out looking for Ultima Thule. "'But believe me, I understand why you did it. "'I can't think of anything harder for someone who is used to action—' "'She glanced at Bulwark. "'Then to sit back and wait. "'Sometimes it's intolerable—' not having anything to hit. "'You are having good point. "'Hand-to-hand practice, once back in Atlanta. c c c p h q has adequate gym facilities. "'Few leaks. Most lights work.' "'Bella smiled and hid it behind her hand. <laughs> "'You'd win, unless I cheated. "'But I'd appreciate some Sistema lessons.' Bulwark barely cracked a smile.
1: "'You could use some systema lessons,' he rumbled.
0: "'It's settled. Let us finish this exercise so that we may return all the sooner, da?' She nodded curtly, then went back to her seat. Moji arched an eyebrow, waiting until she was seated before he spoke. "'That was different.' You didn't even break anything. Shut up, brat, or I shall start here. She could have been annoyed, but instead felt a smile of her own creep its way into her lips. It is good to have friends, not just comrades. Oh, my, I'm turning soft and American. The last of the delegates filed into the chamber with its mirrored ceiling. They barely took up the first five tiers. "'there was room for thousands of people here, "'concrete proof that the medicines did operate by consensus. "'The very last person to walk in was Arthur Chang, "'in full military regalia. "'While it would have been expected "'for a representative from the State Department "'or the President's Cabinet to act as representative, "'there had been some sort of agreement "'worked out with the President. "'Mitas had insisted on his presence,' That had settled the matter in the end. He remained impassive as he made his way to his seat, at the table next to Echo's. He looked eminently calm and capable. Natalia found herself liking the man, for his strategic expertise and the care he showered his troops with, if nothing else. Once he was seated, the light chatter that had filled the chamber fell to a hush. The two medicines who had been standing to one side of the dais took the three steps up to it. There was already a table with a pair of plain white cubes on it. Once the two medicines, a man and a woman, took their places on either side of the table, the two cubes glowed, and suddenly there were two projected men, one in front of each cube, joining them. It was clear that these were projections because they were slightly transparent. The one on Natalia's right was shorter than the other, but she recognized them both from the wire frame versions of their heads that had appeared when she went to speak with them via the quantator, currently residing in the secure room of CCCP headquarters. Tesla and Marconi. Of course. Those of you who are unfamiliar with faces of history will not recognize our two incorporeal associates said the male medicine, in a white suit that looked to Natalia as if it had been stolen from a state-sponsored science-fiction film of the 1970s. May I present to you Nikolai Tesla and Enrico Guglielmo Marconi. Each man nodded slightly at the sound of his name. Virtually everyone, except those at the Echo and CCCP tables, gasped as the implications began to dawn on them. Together they are the founders of what came to be known as Metis, where you find yourselves now, a city and a society based on science for the greatest possible good. A murmur began, which Natalia predicted would become a roar if something was not done about it. The speaker stilled the sound with a raised hand. When you return to your rooms... You will find documents waiting which should answer every one of the questions which are occurring to you now. And if you have other questions, you have been given access to the universal terminals through which you may ask whatever you please. Ah, but will you answer those questions? Nat thought to herself. While she trusted Tesla and Marconi, insofar as she could trust any of these people... She did not trust the openness and honesty of these medicines. Her government, past and present, was no saint on the world stage. But she found that people, professing to be working in the best interests of everyone, often were able to justify the worst atrocities and evils to themselves. She saw no reason why these medicines would be any different so far." the monopoly they had on their technology, and the immense power that granted them in relation to every other force on the planet, it gave her pause to think what they might do with the power vacuum created by the Thulians and their weakening of even the strongest nations on the planet. A technocracy would be no better than slavery by oligarchs or fascists. Art of War was the first to realize what the blue light was for, or perhaps was the first of those who had figured it out to decide to use it. He waved his hand over the top of it, and it went from a dim glow to a bright one. General Chang, the medicine said, acknowledging him. Thank you for the introduction to Masters Tesla and Marconi, Chang said smoothly. But who might you and your companion be? The man smiled. We are the delegated representatives of Metis although every citizen is currently monitoring this conference he replied i am citizen raymond freiburg and my fellow delegate is citizen mabel aldante she and i represent the opposing factions within metis in so far as our involvement with the rest of the world is concerned i am in favor and she is in opposition Thank you for that clarification, Citizen Raymond, Chang said gravely. I am relieved to discover I am not going to have to refer to you by, say, two sets of numbers. There was a ripple of quiet laughter through the congregation, but it quickly subsided. But, citizens, gentlemen, ladies, the question I think that is paramount here is this. You elected to reveal yourselves and come to our aid at Ultima Thule, and believe me, we are grateful. But just exactly how much more are you going to supply to us now? You have to face facts. There are probably tens of thousands of you, and billions of us. The proverbial cat is out of the bag. I don't think you can go back into hiding again. He steepled his fingers just under his face. I am sure that while some governments would be inclined to just quietly sit back and let you be, the majority are going to assume that if you are not forthcoming in sharing what you have, then you will be as much a threat as the Thulians. If not now, then in the future. There were shouts of agreement, and some decidedly less agreeable shouting. Mabel looked triumphant and cast a glance at Raymond as if to say, I told you so. But Chang wasn't done. He raised his hand, and the shouts quieted. This is something that no government, especially the United States government, can abide. We need to know your intentions, and establish a means for disseminating the technology and the scientific grounding, so that the world might protect itself against any future aggressors like the Thulians. Natalia felt herself holding her breath. Art of war had beaten her to the punch with his questions, and she decided it was probably for the best. She would have certainly been less diplomatic with her tone and wording. It seemed that his ability for strategy not only extended to the battlefield, but also to wars of words. The assembled crowd erupted once Arthur had finished speaking again, each delegate wishing to have their say heard first. Natalia noticed that Belladonna and Worker's Champion each held back, Bella conferring with Bulwark, while Boriats simply watched. "'Gentlemen, ladies,' Marconi boomed, voice amplified, over the growing tumult. "'Is your very presence here not an indication that Metis has every intention of sharing our knowledge?' "'If we had wanted to keep our wisdom to ourselves, "'would we have brought you here in the first place, "'in our vehicles, A "'vehicles which your own weapon systems were unable to detect "'until we allowed them to.' "'Tesla nodded as the voices subsided. "'We could easily have made our appearance, "'dealt with the Thulians, and vanished, "'and you would have been none the wiser.' Instead, you are here as our guests. Please calm your fears. Emotionalism will not win you allies among us, and you will have to convince every medicine among us in order to achieve your goals. We are a true democracy. Nat snorted a little. Tesla twitched an eyebrow in her direction but continued on. "'Each and every vote will be held where you can see it, "'and it will be your task, "'as representatives of your various governments, "'to convince us that you are prepared to use what we hold wisely.' "'He raised his voice a little. "'Furthermore, there will be no playing of favourites. "'What one receives, all will receive. "'You may wish to take that into consideration.' The room exploded into shouting again at that. Natalia decided to tune out as much of it as possible, as different nations loudly argued their cases for receiving the lion's share of technology due to their contributions during the war against the Kriegers. Herself, Art of War, Belladonna, and Workers' Champion were part of a small contingent that remained largely silent, allowing the more self-important delegates to blow as much hot air as they liked. The need for a cigarette grew more and more urgent as their puerile conjecture carried on. "'This, ladies and gentlemen,' Marconi boomed over the top of them all, after the ones on the dais had let the cacophony continue for about ten minutes. "'Is not your decision to make. It is ours. There may be billions of you, but you have no way of accessing our records without our cooperation.' "'each piece of information will be given to all, or none. "'That was our unilateral decision. "'As the Americans are so fond of saying, "'take it or leave it.' "'Silence fell. "'Chang's light came on again. "'General Chang,' said Raymond. "'It seems, citizen,' You have us over the proverbial barrel, as we Americans are so fond of saying. That actually got a weak laugh. That was all Arthur seemed to need to break some of the tension in the room, however. He spread his hands. You're holding the cards and you are offering to share the pot, to use another Americanism. Shall we turn the discussion to what is actually in that pot, then? He straightened slightly. I see this for what it is, an opportunity for global cooperation and enrichment on a level heretofore unknown. In fact, in my view, when this conference is over, we may well find ourselves with nothing to fight each other over, ever again. We've vested, with help, a tyrannical, aggressive military force bent on world domination. This is something that should unite us. "'We've survived against impossible odds, "'facing an enemy both old and new to the world. "'I think that gives us more to come together over "'than to divide further.' "'Nat heaved a silent sigh of relief, "'glad that she had not been called on to speak. "'I feel like a minnow at a shark convention,' "'Bella murmured covertly into her overwatch mic.' I feel like a kid with finger paints watching Michelangelo, Vicky put in. Hell, watching Michelangelo taking my finger paints and recreating the Mona Lisa. I am being glad that this art of war is with us. These piranha would tear each other apart for scraps, baubles, and broken trinkets. He is keeping them from that, and maybe saving us all from ourselves. Not bad for Amerikansky. She appreciated the man all the more. One by one, she saw the delicate sway to his passionate rhetoric. She knew it would not be as simple as convincing one room of people to agree not to tear each other's throats out, but it was an important step. It appeared that he was the right man to help them take that first step. As the silence reigned... Mabel and Raymond exchanged another look. Mabel looked sour. Raymond pleased. In that case, perhaps you would care to take a small break in the debate to hear from our biology department. We will start at the last, a very recent discovery made possible by our fledgling relationship with Echo. We trust the significance of our findings and the vast potential it suggests for future endeavors— Won't be lost on you. Ladies and gentlemen, at long last, we have confirmed the origin of meta-powers. This time, instead of an uproar, there were only gasps and unvoiced questions as the delegates of the world rose to their feet. Mabel and Raymond approached the center of the dais in silence, collected the cubes projecting the images of Tesla and Marconi, and brought them down to an ornate pedestal at the foot of the steps. The room hushed as the lights dimmed, and at the center the dais began to rise up from the ground. Beneath the rising platform, a round, brightly lit and glass-walled room came into view. It was bare, except for a tall, white-gowned man, who stood beside an open, stylized sarcophagus. Inside the ornate coffin, the body of a man who looked to be in his mid-thirties, with chiseled features, blonde hair, and a build that could only be described as heroic. In fact, he looked like something out of a Nazi propaganda poster or commemorative statue. "'Good Lord!' Yankee Pride exclaimed, rising from his seat. "'It's Eisenfaust!' A tense murmur rose from the crowd and was silenced as a voice boomed from unseen loudspeakers, bringing the assembled delegates to a still. Ladies and gentlemen. Within the glass-lined room, the man in white held up his hand. He cast an arrogant look out into the crowd, his mouth bent in a perpetual sneer, and waited. Finally he let his hand drop. Satisfied, he had everyone's undivided attention, and continued. "'My name is Dr. Herman Damon Kestrel, and I suggest you remember it well, as I will be remembered as the man who has deciphered one of the greatest mysteries of our time. Since the appearance of the first metahumans during the Second World War, we have pondered the riddle behind meta powered individuals.' Many have hypothesized foolish notions of higher beings, claimed unfathomable machinations of magic, the common scapegoat in paranormal occurrences, while other enlightened logical thinkers, such as myself, have delved deeper into the secrets contained within the physiology of such beings. My contemporaries sought answers in novel power sources even going so far as to postulate the existence of minute gateways to alternate realities. They were fools. I present to you now irrefutable evidence that metapowers are, in fact, encoded in our very genes. Once you hear my evidence, even the most skeptical amongst you will, I trust, agree completely with my conclusions. Consider the natural evolution of our species. Only an imbecile would fail to grasp that our ever-changing genome is the natural genesis to any advances in humanity as a whole. Oh, God, Bella muttered. He's one of those. He's actually going to take one of the most amazing discoveries of all time and put us to sleep with it. Truly, Bull agreed. "'Is to be sounding like member of Roleskaya in Nuka,' "'Savior muttered. "'Hours of talking to self, "'minutes to say anything important. "'Head is to be pointed under that hair.' "'It was good to have the overwatch system at all times, "'but at the moment, "'the fact that she could complain to the like-minded "'without the danger of being overheard "'was the only thing keeping her temper from snapping. "'Above them,' A hologram sprang into existence depicting a lifelike animation of two men pointing at a large-scale model of DNA. Kestrel gestured to the hologram as it zoomed into the model and panned out again as the point of view revealed a cellular nucleus, then an entire cell, a working heart, and finally a stylized recreation of da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. Watson and Crick revolutionized the study of genetics in 1953 with their discovery of the molecular structure of nucleic acids. Kestrel began, and led his audience from the origins of molecular biology to the first sequenced genes in the 70s and the invention of PCR in the early 80s. By the time he reached the birth of the Human Genome Project, the assembly of delegates had begun to grumble, impatient to hear about the actual discovery and taken aback at the sheer magnitude of Kestrel's condescending tone. "'Please, doctor,' General Chang interrupted. "'Most of us do have a passing familiarity with these great advances in our understanding of biology. "'In the interest of time, might we progress to the point where you might enlighten us "'on how you have come to the discovery of the metagene?' He was met with a low murmur of agreement from the crowd. Dr. Kestrel cast him a withering look, then waved in annoyance, signaling the projectionist to skip ahead in the presentation. Fine, Kestrel said. If you're so set on withholding the proper introduction that such an important discovery requires, no, deserves to fully grasp the gravity of these findings, then I suppose I could ingratiate myself to you. I suppose I could modulate my vocabulary as well, so that the layman in the room might better keep up with the material. That would be most gracious of you, Arthur said, without a hint of a smile. Bella hid her own behind her hand, but not before Natalia saw it. My work into discovering the metagene, as you call it, had been met with many obstacles of late, While there was evidence it existed, it was all indirect and could never be replicated. I kept encountering, let's call them, gene ghosts. One moment I believed I had properly isolated a gene, only to have it vanish upon retesting, failing to meet the scientific requirement of replicating results. It was frustrating, to say the least.' This changed last year, when Echo retrieved the body of the man known as Eisenfaust. He motioned to the body in the sarcophagus. And had the good sense to send it here to meet us. We wanted it because he was what we called a metaprime, one of the first metahumans to have his powers triggered. As such, his body was invaluable. You will, of course, have noticed that we enclosed it in this sealed chamber— it is necessary. This specimen has proven vital to any recent advancements I have made, and so I must decline any requests to personally inspect the body until I am satisfied I have exhausted my own efforts. It has undergone many complex but fragile preservation treatments, and I fear outside exposure may contaminate it. He paused to monitor readings on a handheld unit, and continued. My initial tests revealed an interesting observation. Someone, somewhere, had taken it upon themselves to perform repetitive invasive studies on this man. It seems I wasn't the first to cut into him. Our inspections revealed numerous and minute scabs and scars across most of his vital organs, suggesting any number of biopsies, and even multiple open-heart surgeries. Our theories were varied on why, until DNA analysis managed to finally isolate a promising chromosomal contig that yielded markers we had previously thought to be metagene-associated. What's more, portions of the contig also contained very discrete markers identifying them as transposable elements, though somewhat muted in their activity. Bella gasped.
1: "'What is it?'
0: Bulwark asked. "'I think he's about to tell us our powers come from jumping genes,' Bella said. "'This time she wasn't bothering to keep her voice low so that only Overwatch picked it up.
1: "'I beg your
0: pardon?' "'A jumping gene is one that actually moves around in the genome,' Bella explained." now painfully aware that the entire congregation had turned their attention to her. Something Barbara McClintock discovered in corn in the early fifties got her the Nobel Prize years later. Turns out a big chunk of the human genome is made up of transposable elements, but I haven't heard of them actually doing anything except taking up space. Very good, Kestrel nodded. Why couldn't have put it more simply or less elegantly myself? Of course, Miss Parker's rather crude explanation omits most of the complexities of dealing with transposable elements, but you get the general concept. Simply put, unlike other transposable elements, the fully evolved metagene does not seem to replicate itself, but physically leaves its location and moves to another. Why fully evolved? "'Bella asked. "'In the case of Eisenfaust, "'I believe his genetic code has been grossly tampered with.' "'Kestrel continued, his eyes flicking toward Bella in annoyance. "'His metagene, or should I say metagenes, "'there can hardly be only one after all, "'with the diversity of metapowers that exist in our metahuman population. "'These metagenes appear to have been altered.' the relocation activity of the transposable elements dulled. In their natural state, they would have a rapid rate of relocation, but in their current and muted capacity, I have been able to ascertain that in the past they arose from a replicative type of jumping gene. I see I am confusing you. Simply put, early progenitors of the metagenes would have multiplied, making copies of themselves.' "'Given the veracity of the typical rate of activity of modern-day metagenes, "'such a process couldn't be viable. "'Chromosomes would rapidly grow, "'overtake the confines of the cell nucleus, of the cell itself, and... "'He made an explosive gesture with his hands. "'So it makes sense that the fully evolved metagenes do not replicate. "'They simply reposition themselves in the genome. "'Not to say that replication doesn't happen on occasion.' It would even be necessary in the early evolution of the gene, to account for the diversity we see now in metapowers. You see... I'm sorry, Ramona interrupted. Why was the jumping activity of Eisenhaus metagene slowed down in the first place? Interruptions, 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 Kestrel seethed. I do not have conclusive evidence on that at this particular moment. It is one of the many projects I would be working on right now... "'including, I might add, finalizing the actual sequencing of these genes "'if I wasn't forced to present my initial findings to a gangle of outsiders.' "'Doctor, please,' Raymond said. "'A little respect for our esteemed guests.'
1: "'Of
0: course,' Kestrel said, and took a breath to calm himself.' My initial hypothesis was that the Thulians sought to understand the origin of metapowers, as we did, and devised a way to disrupt the function of all transposable elements in individuals, such as Eisenfaust, in order to study them in a consistent manner. However, upon closer inspection, I determined their methods were far too precise and orchestrated, requiring an in-depth knowledge of their targets of study beforehand." You think the Kriegers already know all about these metagenes? General Chang asked. Assuming they were the ones who have altered him, Kestrel said, it would be more than mere hypothesis. It would be fact. Then what were they after? From the nature of their modifications, my first impression was that they were seeking a process to nullify metagenes, perhaps even eliminate their existence entirely. You must understand. After I delineated the existence of metagenes, I had to sift through their own modifications to Eisenfaust's genome before resuming my own work. While they had stabilized the chromosomal
1: localization of his metagenes, they had also grossly corrupted them. I learned from their mistakes, you might say. There was clear tampering, obvious markings of attempts at gene silencing.
0: I was able to piece together an abridged story of their futile efforts to stem the acceleration of metagene proliferation. So, just to summarize for us non-medicines, Ramona said as the doctor paused a half-second for air. You figured all of this out thanks to the dead meta supremacist on the slab. You've realized that they don't normally stay in one place, which makes them harder to pin down, even in the same person. And what's more... The Kriegers knew all about these metagenes before you did. That about right? The doctor managed to contort his mouth into an even more offended sneer at Ramona's short summary of his verbal dissertation. A blunt and incomplete abstract, yes, but... So if they could stop these genes from moving, could isolate them, why didn't the Kriegers take it further? Ramona let the question fall heavy in the center of the conversation. In terms of technology, we were clearly outgunned during the invasion. The only thing that stood in their way was the number of metahumans across the world. You said it looked like they were working on obliterating the metagenes. Obliterating metapowers. Ramona paused. Were they close? she asked. Were they ever close to decimating the metahuman population? Young lady... Kestrel said. If you would allow me to finish, you would learn that it is now my hypothesis that the Thulians were not, in fact, attempting to silence Metagenes. Kestrel paused for effect. They were seeking answers on empowering them. But you said they were shutting them down, Ramona said. That was my initial thought, yes, Kestrel admitted. But the deeper I probed, the clearer it became that I was mistaken, and they were looking for the opposite. He was interrupted by a truly ghastly, bubbling laugh. The eyes of the corpse in the sarcophagus didn't open, but the laugh was coming from Eisenfaust. Idiot, the thing said in a thick, gluey voice. There was a hair-raising buzzing when it spoke. And it wasn't speaking in just English. It seemed as if it were speaking in dozens of languages, all at once. You are all idiots. But thank you so much for taking down all of your defenses. We thought we would never be able to get past them to find out where you were— without taking drastic and fatiguing measures. The thing shoved the lid of its enclosure aside, eyes still closed all the while. Did you really think you were done with us? We have only been playing with you until now. Kestrel stared in paralyzed horror as the body of Eisenfaust, puppeted by God only knew what, "'turned its sightless face towards him. "'You've become inconvenient, you little insects, in your secret city. "'Now the time has come to swat you.' "'The corpse, in two jerky but too quick movements, "'simultaneously smashed the sarcophagus and grabbed Kestrel by the shoulder.' The hand squeezed, and everyone was able to hear the sound of the man's collarbone snapping over the intercom. Get it off!
1: Get it off! Get it off! Get it off!
0: Kestrel's voice spiraled up into the soprano range as the pain hit him. The corpse paid no heed as it pulled him closer. With the hand that had smashed the sarcophagus, it retrieved a wicked-looking shard of glass. With deliberate slowness, it plunged the shard into the scientist's chest and twisted. Kestrel's scream no longer had words, just a single animalistic howl. The entire room exploded into activity. Several of those attending the scientists in the examination room attempted to flee, jamming together at the door and pounding their fists against it uselessly. A handful tried to free Kestrel from the corpse of Eisenfaust. On the delicate side of the glass, there were screams and shouts, everyone either trying to be heard or watching in frozen horror. Natalia marched forward, pushing through the teeming crowd. Her eyes were fixed on the corpse. It had started vibrating, subtly at first, but more and more pronounced. It wasn't until it was shaking violently that anyone else noticed. What in God's name is it doing now? Fuck, someone get in there already! Why isn't it dead? Then she noticed that the body was changing. The skin was peeling and blackening in patches, splitting. It actually started to smoke, and then light was spilling from its mouth. Like it's burning, from the inside out. The light grew brighter, now coming from the ragged tears in the corpse's skin. The thought came to her like a lightning bolt. It wasn't just immolating itself. It was ramping up, gathering power for... Bulwark! Dead man is to be exploding! She shoved her way through the crowd more violently this time, trying to find the American. Bulwark! Bulwark had gotten to his feet along with everyone else, the wheeled chair that had brought him here discarded like a toy. He loomed over everyone, a good head or more taller than even Worker's Champion. His gaze snapped to Natalia at the sound of his name. Bulwark! she screamed, pointing violently at the animated corpse. Bomb! Bulwark's eyes widened. Down! he thundered, and Get down! And as people around him hit the floor, he flung his arms wide, and with him, his shield, which sprang up as a visible and rapidly widening bubble with him and Bella at the center. Natalia turned back to the examination room. The light there had become so bright that it seemed to completely fill the chamber. There were more screams, first from the chamber itself, then from the delegates as they realized the danger. She barely had time to drop to the floor before it happened. The light became even more intense, blinding her, and then the muffled whomp-boom as the blast wave exploded from the examination room and over the delegates.' You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International license. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.